0: There are some critics of Christianity and religion in general that, that call Christianity a, a crutch, a crutch for weak people. That it's people that are not self-sufficient in themselves. They, they need help. They, they can't operate on their own in this world. And they need some pie-in-the-sky God or hope of eternity. Uh, it's a crutch, they say. And in some ways, they're right. But it's actually far worse than that. (laughs) Christianity is not only a crutch, it is a heart transplant. It is a heart transplant in which God wants to come in and give us a new heart and a new spirit. It is far worse than a crutch, my friends. As we read this passage in Ezekiel, we hear again the promise of God, where he promises, he says, I will give to you a new heart. So to recap where we've been through this series, as Reverend Alex pointed out, we've been walking through these stories of the Old Testament to to pinpoint the promises of God, to reveal to us his heart, his desire to give to us. And each of these promises is given in a particular context to particular people in particular situations. But they have broad and universal appeal that applies to us even now, even today. God's promises are always true yesterday, today, and forever. And they are true for you. They're true for you and for me. So as we hear these promises, I want you to keep that in mind. These are for you. And God keeps piling on the promises because that's his nature, that's his heart. He says, I will win, I will crush the serpent's head. I will bless you and make you a blessing. I will deliver you and bring you into a promised land. I will establish a house for you forever. All these promises find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. All the promises of God find their yes in him, as we heard earlier. God's promises are true then and now, and they're for you. In a season like the one that we're in, that can be hard to believe. It can be hard to see when life feels like it's pressing in on us and situations around us are so uncertain and volatile. But what God promises here in Ezekiel is a renewed heart and mind. He talks about corporate and personal renewal. One new heart, one new spirit God promises, and this is for you. So I want to invite you with me to open up your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 11 as we look at this. And as you open your Bible or your app, whatever, uh, let's be honest that Ezekiel is a hard book to read. Uh, it's It's weird. It's long, it's a trudge through, it's a lot of doom and gloom. Uh, There's a lot of freaky visions that go on. And Ezekiel gets the short end of the stick of being the prophet of God. He does not have an easy go of it in being called to be the mouthpiece of the Lord of the universe. Um, But Ezekiel is among the exiles that are taken out of the land of Israel, the promised land. They're taken into Babylon And he's at what is basically a Jewish refugee camp in Babylon. And God speaks to him and speaks through him to these exiles saying, this is why this has happened. This is the judgment. This is the wrath of God that's come against your idolatry. And more is coming unless you repent. But we see in Ezekiel glimpses of hope and promise and the heart of the gospel. We see that here in chapter 11. And chapter 11 here is actually just a foreshadowing of a more spelled out vision of hope and future restoration that's in chapters 36 and 37 of Ezekiel. So if you're interested in diving more into Ezekiel, uh, read the book in its context. But especially remember that there are promises of God that are are given in the midst of uh, judgment and destruction in these chapters. This passage here. Old Testament scholar Daniel Block calls the Gospel according to Ezekiel. This is a, a glimpse of this future hope, this promise of God that He says, "I will bring you back into your land, and not only that, I will give you a new heart." So let's look at this in chapter eleven, starting at verse sixteen. God says. Yes, I am the one who removed them from the land and scattered them to other nations. I did that, God says. That was me. But yet, I have been to them a sanctuary for a while. Even in exile, God has been a house of worship and a refuge for them. Now this idea, this is a radical statement to the Jewish mind and imagination. Because God lives and dwells in the temple in Jerusalem and nowhere else. If you wanted to worship, you had to go to the temple because that's where God was. And God is flipping that on its head and he's saying, no, I am with my people who are scattered to other nations. I am a sanctuary for them. And now we worship where God is. This is the first radical promise, even though it's not couched in the I will statement. But this is a radical thing that God is saying. I have been for them a sanctuary in this foreign land. And I am with you in exile, is the promise of God. In Verse 17, he goes on to our first I will statement. There's, there's a lot in this passage if you want to count them. He says, now you have been in exile, but I will gather you. I will assemble you. Before, he was the one that removed them and he scattered them. And now he's reversing that and saying, I will gather you. I will assemble you and bring you back into the land of Israel. Bring you back to your home. He says, I will do this. I will bring you back. This is like a new exodus coming back from exile into the promised land that God has sworn to give them. And when they come into the land, verse 18, it's on them to remove from the land all the detestable things and the abominations that are there. Somehow the land has been polluted, riddled and defiled by idols. And God's saying, when you come, it's going to be time to clean house. It's going to be time to cleanse all of that junk, to get rid of all of the idols so that you might live here with me. This is their responsibility, God says. This is on them when He's going to be the one that brings them back, but it's on them to clean house. Verse 19 is the even more promise. Not only will He bring them back, but He says, I will give them one heart. And a new spirit I will put within them. Now, for them, the problem has been exile. The problem has been distance from their homeland. The problem has been the Babylonians, the enemies who have taken them away from God's promises. But God is saying that's not the real problem. Not only is he going to bring him back into the land, but that's not going to fix things. He says, I will give you a new heart because your heart is the problem. Your hearts need to be replaced, he says. God, the great physician, is coming in to do surgery. Giving them a new heart and a new spirit. They didn't ask for this promise. They asked to be returned to their land. They wanted, they longed for Israel, the land that they were promised. But God says, above and beyond that, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. This is about a fundamental remaking of them as a people, reconstituting of the core of who they are will be made new by God. Because it's our hearts that are the real problem. Here, Our hearts are the ones that have polluted the land. Our hearts are the ones that have gone after idols, turned away from God, profaned the temple, and our hearts have failed in our purpose of being God's light to the world. And they must be replaced. He says, I will give you one heart, To me, that implies that before we've been double-hearted, we've been divided in our desires and our devotions, but God wants to give us a single-hearted devotion to him, a unity in our hearts collectively and individually that he will give to us that only comes through his power. And he gets here specific and graphic he himself will personally remove our stony hearts and replace them with a heart of flesh. God is the master surgeon who reaches in, gets messy and dirty, and does the hard work of a heart transplant, removing a heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. This radical heart transplant God implies here, is the only real lasting solution for our idol-driven, rebellious, wicked, hard, duplicitous, and stubborn hearts. The real core of the issue is our hearts that are made of stone, and they need to be replaced. In verse 20, God goes on to say, if this is so that the people might live in obedience and faithfulness to the Lord. The goal of this operation is faithfulness, single-hearted devotion, belonging to him, of no longer turning away to idols. And He says, they shall be my people, and I will be their God. This is a, is a covenant formula that's repeated throughout the Old Testament and echoed at the end of Revelation, Actually. They will be my people and I will be their God is the picture of the reestablished and perfected relationship that we are meant to have with God. And he said, this will come about because of this new heart and this new spirit that I will give. He closes this passage with uh, verse 21 with a warning To those who continue with their hearts of stone, going after the detestable things and their abominations, God says, Their own deeds I will bring upon them. This is a warning in the midst of a promise. Because there are those who are going to ignore God's promises, who are not going to receive the gift that He freely gives. God's promises always cut both ways like a sharp two edged sword. The options are always either blessing or curse, life or death depending on how and if we trust in his promises and receive his gifts. God promises to us, even now, a new heart and a new spirit. Because this promise, remember, is for you and for me and for us. A new heart, a new spirit, this renewal of mind and heart that will establish you in right relationship with God. This promise is for you. And to, to go about receiving it, to acknowledging it, we need to ask some questions about ourselves. And first, what does a stony heart look like? What's a heart of stone look like? that God wants to remove, that God says needs to be replaced. And if we read the text in verse 19, God removes the heart of stone from flesh and gives a heart of flesh for our flesh. So there's something about a heart of stone that's out of sync with the rest of us. There's something that's not compatible. There's something that is is rubbing the wrong way against how we were made to be. That what we need is a heart of flesh for a body of flesh, for a life of flesh. We need consistency and integrity and wholeness. And a heart of stone is preventing that. A heart of stone is something at the core of us that is wrong and not how God made us to be. Now, I think many of us have become so accustomed to living out of sync that we don't notice it anymore. Many of us have lived so long with hearts of stone that we don't know the difference anymore, and we don't know that we are sick or just how sick we are. Because the stony heart goes after things that in God's eyes he calls detestable, abominations, which those are harsh words. Uh, Those are words we don't throw around lightly in our discourse. But God's saying that the hearts of stone go after abominations and detestable things. So what does your heart go after? When you think about the deepest desires of your heart, those things that shape your priorities, that drive you, that are the core of your identity, who you are, would God call those things abominations? Even if they're relatively good things by earthly standards. You know, they're not evil. They're not, you know, quote-unquote sinful. They're not wickedness. But if our heart is going after things like success, comfort, status, even security, those things are not God. And God says that anything that we worship, which is whatever our hearts go after, that's what we worship. Anything that we worship that is not God is an idol, an abomination to him, detestable. We need to learn to see with God's eyes here because what he calls detestable, we might call a normal desire because we're so out of sync. Our hearts of stone have led us astray. And I want to suggest that maybe just as God told the exiles that when they come into the land, they have some cleaning house to do. They need to get rid and remove all those detestable things and all those abominations. Perhaps we need to do some cleansing of our own lives. Perhaps we need to do some reevaluating of our own desires and the things that our hearts go after. And this is not a project of renewing ourselves. This is not a project of making ourselves holy. This is so that we can make a way for God to give us a new heart. Because the thing that's preventing God from giving you a new heart is you and your idols. So maybe we need to think about cleaning house. That's what a stony heart looks like. What does a heart of flesh look like? What does a new heart look like? What's the goal here for God in giving us a new heart of flesh? It's a heart that is surrendered to Jesus as Lord of our lives. And Lord means master, Boss, in charge. He's the one who has the final say over what I do, who I am, what I say, what I think. He is Lord of my life. And a new heart, a fleshly heart, will do that joyfully because I have been made whole. I have been made consistent. I live a life uh, well integrated with itself. And that is a life that it knows who its maker is and knows who its savior is and bows down to worship him always. Whose heart goes after him and him alone. It's a heart that walks in faithfulness because that is our greatest joy. It's a heart that lives in obedience because there is no better way to live because all other ways lead to idols and to death and to hell. It's a life and a heart that desires this active relationship with God that comes through prayer. Many of us I know, I've talked with us, that our prayer lives maybe are not where we want them to be. That, that we know we should be praying, that we know we should be uh, finding joy in our prayer lives. But if we have a prayer life at all outside of this hour on Sunday morning, it sometimes feels rote. It feels like checking the box. It feels like a duty and not a joy. A renewed heart is one that continues to seek after God in the good times and the bad times because that is our only joy and our highest good. A renewed fleshly heart is a heart that is after God and knows that there is nothing better that we could pursue because he is our highest joy. He is our greatest good. So I want to ask you a real question, not a rhetorical question. Do you want this? Do you want a renewed heart and a new spirit? And I want you to ask yourself that question. I want you to ask, what do you actually want from God? You know what he wants for you, You know what he wants to give to you, but do you want this new heart? Do you want to be renewed? Or do you want to want it? Maybe if you're not in that place of, yes, that is all that I want, maybe you know that you should want it or wanting to want it. I think God honors that and God loves that in us even when we want to want it. Or, if you're honest with you, yourself, are you going to say, no, I don't want that. Honesty before God is always the best starting point, even if it's a no. This idea of a renewed heart might seem idealistic or unattainable. Um, And I think that's because we've mostly tried to do it by our own efforts. We try to accomplish it on our own strength and by our own wisdom and skill. But God says this is something that only he can do. He says, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit, to remove any possibility that we could take credit for it. It's a miraculous work of his power working on us and in us. He is the great surgeon who operates on us. And I know that many of us right now are feeling weary and tired and stressed. I was just reading an article about a real thing that scientists uh, and sociologists call caution fatigue that we've got so many things on our radar to be cautious about, to be careful about, new ways to to orient our lives around safety and security, and it's exhausting. We're tired. We're overwhelmed. We're thrown out of sorts and out of sync. And I need to tell you that this isn't going to just get better when a pandemic is over, when there's a vaccine, or when racial justice is accomplished in our land. It isn't going to just get better or go away. Some of us have enough resources or comfort or, or material things to kind of mask over the problems. But remember, the core problem is our hearts. This season This pandemic, this economic crisis, the racial protests, the total train wreck that is the year 2020 has only revealed to us what is true. That we are sick. That we can't save ourselves. That something in us is out of sync. And a new heart, a new spirit won't fix the situations around you. It won't fix all these external problems, but it will make you whole and it will renew you to empower you to engage those problems in hope and in peace and with the joy of the Spirit. This is what God wants to give to you a new heart, a new spirit. God says, I will give this to you. And this is his heart for you to give and to give and to give because he is infinite and abundant and gracious and good. And he loves you. He loves you so much. So much that he's not going to just sit by and to validate your own agendas or to affirm your own schemes and designs of life. To say yes that's fine to whatever you want to do. He loves you too much to do that. He loves you so much that he wants to turn your life upside down. To operate on you. Go in surgically and replace your stony heart with a heart of flesh. This is his promise to you. And all he asks of you is to trust in it. To receive it to yield to his work to operate on you and allow him to transform you. This is his promise, and he asks you to respond to it. Let's pray. Lord, you are so gracious and so good. You always promise far more than we can ask or imagine. You are so abundant in giving more than we could ever hope for. And so we pray that you would make us more and more aware of your goodness and mercy and love for us and to say yes to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.